angels sing or not, but I can't imagine it would be any prettier than that if they did. And as a proud dad, I can say that. I'm so thankful. You know, he could have come any way that he chose. I don't know if you listen to the words of that song, but it's so profound when you think about it that the very one who spoke life into existence, spoke worlds into existence, the very one who upholds all things by his sovereign word of power. He chose to be born of humble means and to enter our world via the dark womb of a virgin and to be born into a world of lost and fallen humanity into such humble circumstances as Bethlehem's manger. Now, we looked at that this morning, if you were here, from Luke chapter 2. And over the, uh, the course of our time together throughout the month of December, I've been dealing with this series, just various uh, characters from the Christmas story. If you're a guest tonight, we've looked at several. We've considered the prophet and how the prophet is there. And um, Christmas is all in fulfillment of the promises that were made by God through Uh, Israel's prophets. We looked at the woman and considered Christmas from the perspective of Mary and her song of worship. We looked at that from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. And then we considered Christmas from the perspective of the dragon. The dragon was a third character that we considered from Revelation chapter 12 where there's that grand sweeping vision that John receives and uh, poised to devour the child that was born of the woman, there is a dragon. And of course, the dragon is a fitting symbol of Satan, the ancient serpent of old. And then this morning, we looked at Christmas from the perspective of heaven's angels there in Luke chapter 2. Now, the text says that they were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. I like to think that there was music involved. I mean, why not? But we could all agree that it was a miraculous thing. It was a wonderful thing when heaven's angels appear there in the fields above Bethlehem's sky, announcing the news of the Savior's birth to the shepherds. For just a moment or two tonight, I want you to consider with me the hero of the story, the one that it's all about, and the character, of course, I'm referring to is the child. You know, Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Uh, From Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God is all about Him. In fact, all of life is about Him. And the sooner that you and I realize that life is not about me or you, but it's all about him, the greater fulfillment and understanding that we'll have in this life. Sin wants us really to live as if the story were all about us, to live with selfishness and self-centered motives. But history is his story. And the Bible says that you and I exist not for the sake of our own benefit, but ultimately for the glory and honor of the one who has created us in his own image. And the Bible says that all things were created through and for and by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so when we come to consider the child that we worship and that we sing about and that we read about from these Christmas narratives in the Gospels, let's not forget the fact that this child is no ordinary child, but he is indeed God with us, Emmanuel, God in human flesh. And to understand fully who this child is, I don't know if you've ever really stopped to consider Christmas from the Apostle John's perspective in the first chapter of John's Gospel. Now, we know the Christmas story. We find Matthew's account. We find Luke's account. Mark begins his gospel with the, uh, the baptism narrative of Jesus. But John begins his gospel going all the way back into eternity past. And in doing so, the Apostle John reminds us that the child born to Mary... The child that we sing about in all of our wonderful Christmas carols and hymns, he is the eternal word made flesh, the eternal God who has come to dwell among us. And so Christmas, it's not about, or the gospel for that matter, it's not about a man becoming God, but it's all about God becoming man. So that the Son of God became the Son of man, so that the sons of men could become sons of God. And that's what the gospel really is all about. And so John uh, writes about this in the opening verses of his gospel. And just listen to this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All of creation owes its existence to this eternal word that the Apostle John is describing here. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so notice how associated with this word there is life. Zoe is the Greek term. It's the life of God, eternal life. Not simply bios, as in biological life, but eternal life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now listen to this. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so like that song, he did indeed come like a winter's snow. If we're ever going to see snow again, you remember what that was like (laughs) when it used to snow? But you think about how quiet and how peaceful oftentimes it is as the snow is gently falling And how still and how quiet the world is in that moment. Jesus makes his entrance into the world in this fashion. He came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So that there's a wonderful thing that happens for those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're transformed They receive the life of God. They're adopted into the family of God and are now the children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, here's the verse I really want you to pay close attention to. 
because it really gets at this issue. Who is this child? We sing about that. William Chatterton Dix wrote it about it in the 1800s. What child is this? Upon Mary's lap is sleeping. Now listen, John answers the question for us right here. Verse 14, the word. He became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So that Christmas then, it's all about the incarnation of the Son of God. God coming to where we are, taking upon humanity so that he might rescue fallen humanity from the bondage of sin. And so three quick thoughts here from this 14th verse in John chapter 1 that I want you to consider with me. And the first is this, the miracle of the incarnation. I don't ever want to lose sight of the wonder that you and I should have as worshipers when we come to the Christmas event. Now, I know we have traditions. I love this service every Christmas Eve. It's a tradition. Many of you, you have traditions that you're going to, uh, you know, share with your family after the service is over. Tomorrow, even, you'll have your traditions. Maybe you'll open gifts with your family. Go visit extended family. Uh, you know, watch a Christmas carol or something like that. We've got our own fair share of plenty of traditions. But I don't want to lose sight of the wonder of Christmas. When, when I think about Christmas, it's all about the incarnation, the miracle of God becoming man, God coming to where we are and taking upon himself humanity. And, and it was really a humbling thing for the Lord Jesus to do this. And the Apostle Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 2 when he describes the incarnation in these terms, when he tells us to have this same mind among ourselves, which was ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. It's not that he ceased being God. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, he did not cease being God, but it's at this particular moment in history when God takes on flesh, as John describes in John 1.14. That's what the incarnation is all about. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that the whole purpose behind his taking on flesh was so that he could offer himself up as a sacrifice for our sin. That's what Christmas is all about, men and women. Never forget the fact that the baby who's laid in the manger in Bethlehem is the Son of God who's destined to go to Calvary's cross, to be nailed to a cross, to bleed and to suffer and to die for the sin that separates us from a holy God. That's the sole purpose for which Jesus Christ came. And so this then is the miracle of the incarnation, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. He, he uses a word here, uh, skenao. It's the same word that is um, the same language used in the Old Testament to describe the glory of God as it was there in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. So John's readers would understand exactly what it is that the Apostle John is saying here, that the Word is made flesh and He dwelt among us. And John says, we've seen His glory. 
And so there's not only the miracle of the incarnation, but the second thing that I want you to consider is the majesty of it all. The majesty of this incarnate God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. John says we've seen his glory. As eyewitnesses, John says we were there with him on the mountain of transfiguration. Uh, He could have described the transfiguration account here and talked about the glory of God that he saw firsthand. But it's interesting to me that whenever the Apostle John talks about the glory of God as it's portrayed and demonstrated and seen clearly in the life of Jesus, you want to know what he's always describing? He's always describing the eternal glory that was Christ's from before the beginning of the world, and he's comparing that with the humility of Christ in his incarnation and the fact that he lays aside the voluntary exercise of his attributes. He doesn't cease to be God, but mystery of mysteries, here's the majesty of it. God becomes man, and he lives a humble life. He could have come like a hurricane and blown us all away. In fact, had he chosen to do so, he would have been entirely justified. But that's not how he makes his entrance into our world, is it? And John says this is something glorious. We've seen his glory firsthand. And so the miracle of it all, the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. The majesty of it all, John says that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Now listen, the third thing that I'll mention is the mission of it all. Because there's a very specific mission that the incarnation involves. That last phrase in that verse is this, he's full of grace and truth. That this child who's born, he is God in human flesh, and and, and here's the purpose for which he's come, to provide grace and truth. I don't know about you, but it seems like at times we kind of gravitate to one or the other when it comes to grace and truth. There are those who say, well, you know, we've got to be people of grace and compassion, and what the world needs is grace and more compassion and more love. And I would agree with that so long as you define love for me in the biblical sense. The love of God. Because listen, Jesus didn't just come to give grace, but he also came to show the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's full of both grace and truth. Isn't that a marvelous thing? That's what the gospel's all about. What does the truth tell me? Well, the truth tells me that I am a sinner. I can't save myself. God would be entirely justified if he sent me to hell as a just punishment for my sin. I know that I've broken his law. How many laws does it take for you to become a sinner? How many laws do you have to break? Well, just one. How many sins does a person have to commit in order to be qualified as a sinner? Just one. And that's the truth. But aren't you glad that Jesus is full of both grace and truth? Because here you have the very lawgiver himself He's wrapped himself up in human flesh, and he has to live a perfect life so that he can obey the law of God that I've disobeyed and that you've disobeyed. And in his sinless perfection, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's taken and he's nailed to a cross so that, listen, God can be gracious to you and me. His wrath is satisfied through the death of Jesus upon the cross so that there's this wonderful exchange that takes place if you are a Christian means that it's not your own righteous merit that saves you. 
It's not your own good deeds that saves you. It's the grace and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves you, period. That's the gospel. That's why the gospel is such good news. Someone says, preacher, hold on a second. Now tell me again, you mean that the righteousness that it takes to go to heaven, it's, it's, it's righteousness that's received as a gift? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because that's what the gospel's all about. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you as someone who's desperately in need of righteousness. Self-righteousness just won't get it done. Your own works won't get it done. You've got to have the perfect righteousness of Jesus that's credited to your account. And the good news is he's full of both grace and truth. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you come to God by way of the cross. You can be forgiven and have eternal life. And folks, that's why Christmas is such a wonderful, wonderful thing to celebrate. John says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's the miracle. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. That's the majesty of the incarnation. And John says that he is full of both grace and truth. And that's the mission. That's what the incarnation is all about. You know, I said this this morning, and I'll also echo this same thought tonight. If I can't think of a better gift for you to receive than the gift of a new life on Christmas Eve. If you don't have a relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what's keeping you from coming to faith? Maybe some of you came with uh, a family member. Maybe a friend invited you to come to this Christmas Eve service. Maybe you just came because you heard we were having a Christmas Eve service. It's not by accident that you're here. I believe that God's arranged it in such a way so that if you've never, ever received Christ as your Savior, why not now? Why not tonight? Why not simply repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus? And that's good news, that he'll save you no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Would you bow with me tonight just in an attitude of prayer right there where you are before the Lord? You say, Pastor, what do I say? I know that I need to be saved. I, I know that I've sinned against God and I've broken his law. What do I say? Listen to me. It's your heart that God's looking at. There's no magic formula that you repeat or magic prayer for that matter. The Bible says that you and I are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. But maybe you would pray something along these lines and say, Lord Jesus, I do believe that you're the Messiah. I do believe that you're the word made flesh who've come to dwell among us, full of glory, full of grace, full of truth. I know that I am a sinner and I have broken God's laws. But Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross and that he rose again from the dead. And so Lord, I pray right now on this Christmas Eve that you forgive me of my sin, come into my heart and life, and be my savior. And my friend, there is no person that has ever come to Jesus in faith and in repentance that he has turned away. You come to him. Warts and all, you come to him and you trust him. Lord, I'm so thankful 
for the message of the gospel, the message of hope. And Lord, I'm so thankful that though you could have come like a hurricane and though you could have blown us all away, Lord, you chose to come the way that you did in humility. And though you existed in glory from eternity past, Lord, you chose to enter into our world, to be born as one of us, to live perfectly and to give your life as our one and only sacrifice for sin. And so, Lord, we love you. We worship this Christmas. Fill our hearts with awe and wonder when we consider the miracle of the incarnation, the majesty of the incarnation, and the mission of it all, that Jesus came to rescue sinners. What good news. What wonderful news. And it's in his precious name that I pray. And all God's people said together, amen and amen. I want to ask our guys, if you would, to go ahead and get in place. And we're going to, we're going to begin lighting the candles tonight. And we're going to sing Silent Night. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That's what John says. Now think about this. What begins ever so inconspicuously when it comes to candlelight, for example. Think about how it begins with one little flicker or flame, one small light that's passed to another, and then that cycle is repeated. Now, before you know it, this entire worship center tonight is going to be aglow uh, with the light of I don't know, nearly a thousand candles. Is that not amazing when you think about it? I find here a fitting illustration of what it means for you and me to be a gospel witness, right? Now, I know this is a tradition, but now think about it as being an illustration of what God wants to do in my life and in your life as a witness for Christ in a dark world. Don't leave your light under a bushel. But let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God may just use you to be the catalyst that sparks a revival in High Point. Did you know that? We need revival, don't we? It's got to begin right here in my heart. It's got to begin right here in our church. Our city desperately needs the light of Jesus Christ. And so you think about that tonight as we light these candles and as we sing Silent Night.